Okay, good morning. Again, this is week four on baptism. Let's pray. Father, I feel extraordinarily desperate for your grace to work in me as a teacher. And we're all, always desperate for the work of your Spirit to keep our minds alert, to keep our hearts soft, to consider your Word and anything that is in line with your Word through this teacher to be considered seriously and contemplated. Help us. Help us grow. Help us learn. Help us see. And help us, therefore, rejoice in the glory of baptism. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is week four in this series on Christian baptism. Over the previous three weeks, we saw that New Testament baptism is to be given to those who show a credible profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, here's the main point in week four of this sermon. Baptism is the front door to the church. It is the entrance into the church. Let, let, let me say it this way. The person being baptized is not being baptized by Rome in order to become a Roman citizen. Nor of the United States, as Wilma did a few weeks ago. They didn't baptize her. Did they make you raise your hand and swear the oath to the Constitution? That's how she entered becoming a member of the United States as a citizen. Baptism doesn't make her an American. It's, it's not joining the local Kiwanis Club. That's not who's baptizing, or the Rotary Club, or a trade union. In other words, the person being baptized is not becoming a member of any of those groups. So the question is, well then by whom are they being baptized? Into what group here on earth are they entering? And the answer is obvious. It's the church. They are officially becoming a part of of Jesus's called out of the world people. Those persons who already belong to Jesus before this baptized person, when one of them represents them and dunks the person in baptism, those persons together, the gathering called the church, they are saying, yes. You are one of us, saved 
by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ Jesus alone. The idea of people being baptized and not becoming a part of Jesus' church makes no New Testament sense. So let's work our way slowly through this. The answer is not yes for everyone in here, but for those who it is, here's a question. Have you been baptized? Some say no, some say yes. Okay. Have you been baptized? Think about the grammar. That's a passive voice verb. Baptized. Not an active voice. Meaning an active voice is the subject does the action. I asked you, have you been baptized? Passive voice, meaning you, the subject, have had the action of the verb, called baptized, happen to you by another. And so the question is, by whom? Well, by a person who was in Christ before you, right? By, by a person who was already a brick in the temple of God's holy house. Or to use another metaphor, uh, by a head or a hand or a foot or an ear or an eye of the body, of the body of Christ. In other words, by one of those particular members of the assembled people of Christ on earth. And then that member, that person, that represented the assembly, the gathering of Jesus' people. And thus, together, they were welcoming and affirming your profession of faith in Jesus. So let me just put that shortly. In New Testament baptism, there are always two parties involved. And both parties are saying something to each other and to the world. And that's the main point this morning. The church is saying, yes, we affirm your repentance and your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We baptize you. The one being baptized is saying, yes, I believe in the gospel. Jesus is my Savior. Let me tell you what's happened in me. I am choosing to come out of the world and into His church. The place to start now then, and try to unpack that, is not with the book of Acts when they preach and baptize and preach and baptize and preach and baptize. But the place to start is in the Gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, 
chapter 18. In chapter 16, remember, who do you say that I am? And Peter, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus made this profound statement that we have seen over the last few weeks of circumcision of the heart, a work of God the Spirit. He said, you're right. And flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. But my Father who is in heaven, new birth. And upon this rock, Peter, yeah, your name is rock, and upon this rock that we just saw, this dynamic, that's what I'm building my assemblies upon. Church, upon that. And to you I give the keys of the kingdom. And those keys of the kingdom are for you to use. He's going to say this in chapter 16 directly there to Peter. In chapter 18, he's going to apply it to all the believers assembled together. The church. Therefore, binding whatever has been bound in heaven and therefore loosing whatever has been loosed in heaven. This means that the apostles and the church have authority to make public declarations on Jesus' behalf. The word in English, church is an unfortunate translation. It really comes first through Old English, which back to this Greek word, which was never used in the New Testament at all, and it comes through here as church. And we translate the Greek word in the New Testament, ecclesia, with the word church. But what ecclesia means is a gathering. If the Senate in Rome is meeting, they are an ecclesia. This is not a new word that was created. It was an old word and a word in everyday usage. When there are persons around whatever assembling together, they are an ecclesia. Jesus uses it for His disciples. When my disciples in my name are gathered, they are the ecclesia. They are the church. And so then, in Matthew 18, when Jesus teaches, which he's going to see, you're going to see this in a minute, when Jesus teaches that the decision on who is in the ecclesia, which is implicit in the text, and who is to be put out of the community, the gathering, the assembly, which is explicit in the text, when he teaches that and says, uses the word ecclesia, or we translate it, the church, he means believers in him who have mutually affirmed each other's allegiance to King Jesus. And they've recognized one another as members of one gathering, the assembly here on earth. And so Jesus says in Matthew 18, when you are gathered together as my assembled people, you have authority to speak. 
You have authority to speak for me. I give to you the keys of the kingdom and what you bind shall be bound and what you loose shall be loosed. You have authority to speak on my behalf on what is the gospel and on who is rightly confessing it. Jesus is saying, I leave you here, my disciples, because I'm going away. It's as if Jesus is saying to my assembled people, whether here in Jerusalem or in Antioch or in Corinth, wherever else that's going to be, I'm leaving you here in this foreign country as embassies to represent me in a foreign land. We just planted our new embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. What that means is if you get into the geographical grounds of the United States Embassy in Jerusalem, you are on sovereign U.S. soil. If you're in a hostile country where we still have an embassy, it means once you step into that grounds of the United States Embassy, that's the United States. And you go to war if the country that that embassy is in says, no, we're going to come in and do anything we want to anybody who's in there. No, you will not. The church is like these embassies. The gatherings planted all over. And people, when they hear the gospel, are seeking refuge. And I give to you as my ambassador this assembly to welcome all who show this profession of faith in me. And so, we all know this line real well in Matthew 18, verse 20, and Jesus means it. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I of them. Now his point there is not to say Jesus is saying if Lindsay, you and I go down to the beach and hold hands and pray. He's going to be in the midst and we're going to feel the power of the Spirit. That may or not, may not be true. Often is true. His point is not to say that. His point is in the context is to say that his embassies gathered people on earth, whether here in Jerusalem, whether over in Antioch, it's going to happen later. They have my authority to speak on my behalf. Whether it's two, or three, or thirty, or three hundred, or three thousand, or forty-eight. Let's go back and read the context now. Start with verse 15. Jesus is speaking and He says, If your brother sins against you, okay, brother in the context you will see can mean nothing other than a member of your assembly. The church, as it unfolds. If your brother sins, against you, 
go and tell him his fault. Just between you and him alone. If he listens to you, can it mean anything other than, you're right, I've sinned, will you forgive me? Can it mean anything other than that? It can't. Okay, so repentance happens. We all sin. If he sins, excuse me, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean randomly go across the street to the Arco gas station and say, will you come with me? Obviously, in the context, he means other members of the church, of the assembly. So then you take one or or two with you so that every charge... You're making a charge against some grievous sin so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If then he refuses to listen to them, not just you, but another or two other members of the gathering, If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the ecclesia, the the whole gathering, the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, the gathering as a whole, let him be to you as an unbeliever, a Gentile, or tax collector. Now, here's the key. Hear the context when Jesus says it again, what he said in chapter 16. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The power of the keys of the kingdom of binding and loosening belongs to all the members of the assembly. That's why in real life, when the situation happened, and we see it in Corinth in chapter 5, Paul didn't just say to the pastors, to the elders, okay, go deal with this. He spoke to the entirety of the church and how when you come together and my spirit with you and the power of the Lord Jesus is there, you put him, the unrepentant sinner, It's given to the church, to the gathering, to the people. Jesus says, I'm present. 
at these gatherings, the gatherings of his people, to authorize them to speak in my name, the keys to the kingdom, to bind and loose. Now, that's chapter 16 and chapter 18, and now we got to move on with Matthew to chapter 28 in the Great Commission and see the connection. The first thing that Jesus says before He ascends on high to heaven and speaking to the apostles is to remind them that now He is the resurrected King with all authority in heaven and on earth. And then He authorizes them to baptize and to make disciples in the name of the Holy Trinity. Let's read it, starting with verse 18, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based on that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then, obviously, those persons in the preaching, the gospel, becoming disciples, they are added to the gathering on earth. And then Jesus goes on to tell them, teach them everything, all that I have commanded you. I don't think it's much of a jump. Just read the rest of the New Testament as the book of Acts unfolds in the letters. Obviously, that is being fulfilled in the ongoing teaching ministry of the local assemblies. So, back again. The flow. Chapter 16, 18, 28. In chapter 16, Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose. In chapter 18, the church as a whole, the body as a whole, has the final authority to bind and to loose. And he gives an example. To loose from the community. To remove from the gathering disciples who are living in unrepentant sin. Who had once been bound to the church, a part of that gathering. Then in chapter 28, he says, preach the gospel, my people, my gathering, and recognize professions of saving faith. And when you do, admit them into your gatherings. How? By baptizing them. Okay. In baptism, it's not just the baptizee, the person being baptized, who's making a public confession or profession of faith. But it is also the gathering of Jesus' people, the local church, who is also saying something. They go on record in the name of Jesus. 
in the name of the kingdom of God, with the keys of the kingdom, saying, we affirm this person's profession of faith as far as we can discern. We set the visible drama of baptism, that visible public sign or seal to them, which represents the invisible spiritual reality in their hearts. That's what the church of Jesus is saying in baptism. And the believer is publicly committing himself or herself to the Lord Jesus. That's one of the meanings of it, as we saw in Romans a few weeks ago where Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might now live in newness of life. And so that person being baptized is saying, yes, Jesus really did die for me. I know that. And I died with Him. Put me under the water. Bury me with Christ's death for my sin. And Jesus raised me spiritually already. He will physically one day, but He changed my heart, circumcised my heart, called me to faith. I know that. Baptize me. So I come up out of death into life, out of that water to rejoice. That's what the baptized person is saying. Baptism is how the person goes on record saying, I'm a Christian. One of them. It's how you publicly profess your faith in Jesus initially. And profess your submission to Jesus as Lord now of your life. As we respond to the Gospel, New Testament is clear. We are commanded to turn to Jesus both inwardly and outwardly. And the outward physical water baptism declares the inward faith in Jesus and my salvation. On that day of Pentecost, Peter finishes preaching to thousands of Jews. What do we do? And he answered him, Repent. Turn from the way you're going to Jesus and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins.
just try to picture. You're reading a good story, a novel, you picture. Picture Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And after that, what happened? This is in the temple grounds and Solomon's portico. I mean, you could, in other words, you could put football field and then another football field and football field and football. This is massive where they're gathering. And what happens is 3,000 Jews stepped forward out of their Jesus-rejecting culture in order to be baptized. What were they doing? One way to say it is this. They were taking the mark. They were willingly and publicly marking themselves as one of these people in the Jesus sect. I'm a Jesus follower. It may mean trouble for me, but I'm being marked. And that is exactly what Jesus wants. Followers that everyone can see. Back in Matthew 10, Jesus said this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So baptism is the initial way that one declares their allegiance to Jesus. They do it before the church and before the world, saying, I belong to Jesus and His community. It is an act of allegiance to King Jesus. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked in-depthly at 1 Peter chapter 3, particularly verse 21, where Peter writes, Baptism, which corresponds to this, Noah's Ark, the salvation of eight people through water. Okay. Baptism now corresponds to this. That baptism now saves you. No, no, no. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is this outward sign of this inward appeal and a pledge from the heart to the Savior, Jesus Remember, Jesus said, we just read it, baptize them and teach them to observe, which means do, to observe all that I commanded you. So baptism is how you publicly swear 
allegiance, or faithfulness to Christ. This is my intention. Oh, sinner that I am, I need Your grace. But oh, speak, Lord Jesus, where You have spoken in Your Scriptures. I intend to walk in repentance with You observing all that You have commanded. This is the meaning of your baptism. In baptism, a believer not only publicly commits herself to Christ, but also commits herself to Christ's people. On the day of Pentecost, Luke tells us this in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. To whom were they added? The Kiwanis Club? Obviously, to Jesus' gathered disciples. To the church in Jerusalem, which numbered that morning 120 persons. Not 112. Not 460. 120. They knew who was in. And they knew who was not in. And then later that day, those about 3,000 were baptized and added to the 120. They stepped out of the world and into the embassy. The church. To come to Christ is to join with all who trust in Jesus. And to trust in Jesus is to receive and to identify with His people here on earth. To call on God is my Father, Abba, Daddy, is to embrace His other children who cry out, Abba, Daddy, with the same Spirit. Christ. Or else, the Apostle John says, really? You live habitually not loving your brother's sign? You're not really born of God. No wonder there are so many one another's in the New Testament epistles written to the churches. And they know who the others are. To be united to Christ is to become a member of His body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, to the gathering in the city of Corinth. For just as the body is one body, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they're many, 
are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many members. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Now, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. Yet, just one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. But God has so composed the body, giving even greater honor to the part that lacked that honor, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So now, assembly in Corinth, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So in baptism, a believer commits himself to both Christ and Christ's body, His people. You're transferred from the team of the world. I got traded mercifully by the sovereign call of God. I believe. Yeah, you're on a new team. Fly you out over there and you land. And so you join that new team and you put on that game jersey through baptism. You're in union with His people, the church. Believers, as members of Christ's body, they are committing themselves to loving each other, to serving each other, and to submitting to each other out of love for Jesus and one another. As members of Christ's body, we are called not mainly to think of our rights, but to think of our obligations to other members of the body. The act of baptism, I want to be baptized. And we're going to have a few, at least, I think, in the next coming months. And this is my prayer, as they do. I have much confidence it will be. 
It is that person's joyful will. I'm a believer. I am committing. I am pledging myself to Christ, my Savior, and to His body, His people. And it is the community's commitment of saying, we affirm your profession of faith and trust to walk a life with Jesus. And we pledge ourselves to you as joint heirs, as members of Christ's body. Your baptism is putting on our team uniform, one we already have on. You're added to this roster because Christ added you through sovereign election, shown by your faith. Baptism is the church. It is the members as a whole, the community of Christ that gathers in a particular location. It is them identifying someone as a Christian. One of us. The church is saying to the world, look here. This one belongs to Jesus. She is one of us new covenant persons who love and hold to the old gospel. She also has seen and believed that Jesus bore her sin and not only that, suffered and died for it. We, along with her in this baptism, we believe with such a surety the testimony of the eyewitnesses that God raised Jesus from the dead. She is now a covenant person with us. Us who, who regularly gather for worship, preaching, and two ordinances, baptisms, Entrance to Christ church. And the ongoing ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the constant reaffirmation of our walk together with Jesus Christ. She's being baptized. She's one of us. We are there for her. We are committed to hold her accountable to continue to conduct her life and she holding us accountable to conduct our lives in a way that is keeping with faith and repentance and obedience to Jesus Christ as our Lord. That's the beauty of baptism. One of the Two ordinances that Jesus gave to the church. The second one we are going to be partaking of in a few moments. What is this? Holy Communion. It is all of us baptized persons 
come together again and again and again and again and again with not the drama of baptism, but it's connected to it. The drama of the Lord's Supper. And the meaning of what we are about to be doing again this morning, the Lord's Supper, one of the meanings of it is the ongoing examination of our hearts and our walk and repentance and confession to the Lord of sin as we prepare our hearts to eat of the Lord's table. The cup and the bread are also the ongoing affirmation in this church and ten thousands of local assemblies. The ongoing affirmation of our faith-filled, repentant walk with Christ that our baptism signified. The eating and the drinking is a symbolic symbol of our unity, our togetherness, our fellowship as God's people. And it is together, not I, but we, together remembering Christ's death on our behalf and the anticipation, when he said, I won't drink it again until then, the anticipation of our bodily resurrection unto glorification as the Christ one church throughout all the ages. One day. Let's continue to prepare our hearts. No matter what the week is like, as the cup and the bread are passed out, the blood of Christ has been shed. It's where we're going. So we examine our hearts, as Paul tells us, concerning communion. I have sinned. You confess it. He is faithful and righteous, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us again and again of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Come. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your ways. Thank You for the body of Christ. Thank You for each other. Thank You for Your mercy and Your discipline, for accountability, an unbounded joy together in Jesus. You are good.